a blonde, a redhead, term papers, web shooters, and the Green Goblin. Welcome to Panelism, a podcast where we talk about the comics and graphic novels worth having on your shelf. I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. Hey. Hello. I, first of all, almost said I'm Taylor Trask. <laughs> she just oh, went with it. Yeah. I would have been like, and so am I. Yeah. <laughs> and so are you. Um, and secondly, the stinger that I <laughs> opened this with uh, as we were having trouble coming up with one, and then I said, oh, I got it. Uh, I don't want you to give me too much credit for that because that's actually written on the inside cover of this. Which Is it really? Hopefully gives you oh my God, they're just, a they're feeling of the it. tone of this book. Um, I am talking about, um, oh, what, should I, should we chit chat? Let's chit chat. Let's chit chat. jump right into this. I have terribly sad news. Um, which is the comic book shop that I have patronized for, um, 11 years now. Uh, it closed its doors yesterday, <gasps> and that's Comics Unlimited um, in Huntington Beach slash Westminster, um, California. Yeah, and it, it adding to the tragedy, like I knew something was up. It was kind of a thing of like I'm going in and I wasn't seeing the clerks that I knew there. And um, I, you know, you could just tell like, but it, it didn't it didn't show the signs of closing. I just thought like, oh, it's the transition period or whatever. And. And then adding to the tragedy of this is that I didn't, well, <laughs> the personal tragedy of it is that I, because I'm just kind of unplugged on social media, didn't even realize it was the last day until yesterday, uh, as of the time we're recording this, when I had to work all day. So mm. I just, you know, take a break from working and flip on Instagram and watch a story, which I never watch, and see that it's closing. And I was like, oh my God. And... Um, yeah, I wasn't done till after six and they, and you know, and then, uh, my friend Lainey posted a picture of the lights out in the place and Aww. it was like, Oh my God, like it's, it's gone. That's too bad. Why do you so, think it closed? What do you think? The I, I would was? assume it's just, you know, like raising rents and, and, uh, lack of income and stuff. But I, I really hate that. I've had, you know, it's like, it just, it's meant so much to me in so many ways, um, over the years, uh, and I've had so many, I've, I've discovered so many great comics from Denise and Laney who worked there and also, um, Mark, uh, who Mark probably wouldn't personally know my name, but, um, I've talked to him several times about, you know, what, all sorts of things. I remember talking to him for a long time, um, about, uh, you know, digital versus print and the, getting this whole take on the industry from him, like w way back in the day when, um, you better buy print or we'll close one day. <laughs> it, yeah. And it wasn't even in that regard. It was just both of us talking about, and it's something that started our podcast, which was, uh, we found digital comics to be inferior. And we were like, you know, this is like sort of the last bastion of analog media. And I, you know, it was like a, uh, prescient <laughs> conversation, I guess, in that respect, because I would assume, 
you just get, you know, stretched out. It was it was also like a I would say like a mid-sized comic book store. I mean, you live in the city of Mile High Comics, so there's like <laughs> you have a, a warped scale, maybe. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that, though, but the Mile High Comics that used to be on Colorado Boulevard also closed back in, I think, May. Um, okay. I was up in Denver for a day trip and just like you, same exact scenario. I just wasn't. Uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not on Facebook anymore, so I didn't notice um, anything. And I, I drove by, and it was like it, it was like the it was like Gremlins, <laughs> like the entire store was completely clean, like cleaned out. Nothing was in there. I was like, what the hell? And I looked up, and they're like, oh no, this had closed a couple months prior, um, which is kind of sad because when I was living in Lowry, where you stayed with us a few times up there, yeah. um, that was that was typically the shop I would go to. But you know, there's I I do wonder. Having moved to the Springs, I feel you know, we got Mile High Comics in Denver, which is a gigantic warehouse superstore. And yeah. then now I think one, there used to be three. Now there's one satellite store also in Denver. Their mm-hmm. satellite is in the uh, Lakewood area. Um, there used to be two others, one in Littleton and then this other one that closed. But like moving down here, Colorado Springs, as I've mentioned many times, has just some of the best shops in the country outside of Portland. And I, I always... You know, I'll walk in and there will always be part of me that goes, oh, thank God this store is here. And then I'm like, man, I hope this never closes. Um, I don't I, I do think that there's sort of a there's a danger for those shops that are sort of that midsize. They don't really have a they, they have a lot of great stuff, but they may not have like a very specific point of view. I don't I don't know. I'm always mm-hmm. I'm always wondering if if comic shops, if we're living through sort of the late 90s comic shop experience in terms of music stores where like at some point they're just going to start all going down for one reason or another. I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I well, hope not. I, and, and I don't know, I like a preface this with, I have no <laughs> applicable business skills virtually to anything, but definitely to comic book shops and like <laughs> brick and mortar stores. Um, but, and there's nothing comics unlimited could have done about this. Cause you imagine like you get into that space 30, 40 years ago. Well, that's your space. Like, all business, you know, is telling you to grow and expand and stuff. And I don't think they had that mindset, but maybe when the, I just don't, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know when a midsize store can make the pivot to becoming a small curated shop, you know, Mm -hmm. and would a small curated shop just face the same dangers even faster? Because I think back to actually the first comic book store I moved, I went to when I moved out here in 2008 was on my street and it was such an insane uh like experience like it was just not the neighborhood for a comic book shop kind of thing but it was this tiny little hole in the wall and they went out of business like within a few months of me moving here so they i don't know how long they were there but you know they obviously couldn't sustain the traffic like they they just didn't have enough traffic to to sustain like a physical inventory kind of thing um and there was another one uh uh, nearby that it was only open a few days a week kind of thing, you know? So I, I just don't know. And what are comic book shops supposed to be these days? Uh, are they supposed to be game shops also, or, Ooh, good question. you know, and, yeah. and like I go to this game shop, um, to play D and D and, and shop for games, but the space they have is huge. Like it is like warehouse size. And you can't help but think like there's no way you this is sustainable, you know, like yeah. there's a ton of people in here on D&D night, but none of them are buying games like we all mm-hmm. buy like supplements and some dice and maybe some miniatures or something. But that's it. Like, 
you know, how often are you selling one of those $200 game sets or something? Like, that's... Ugh, it's interesting ooh, you say that because Muse Comics, the store that you and I have visited yeah. um, here in Colorado Springs, they actually expanded from their old location to a literally the same strip, like the same kind of store right. strip. They just went like a door down into a bigger space to accommodate more um, Magic the Gathering and D&D playing and that kind of oh, stuff. So they're very much half a really great comic shop, half game shop. Um, I've seen other stores like that too, whereas Escape Velocity is much more just straight up comic stuff. They have some magic things, but that's almost like, almost like the end cap and a convenience store. It's not really their focus. And I'm always curious about that because there is obviously a heavy gaming culture and a heavy magic, the gathering culture and and all the other related games. Um, but it, think about this though, in, in, in the last 15 years, we've seen obviously music stores across the country completely close, leaving probably some really killer, uh, you know, indie indie music stores, primarily with vinyl. I'm thinking of like Grimey's in Nashville. Yeah. Um, that, that sort of level. And, you know, they're few and far between, but there's that's kind of what's left. A ton of bookstores have closed. Yeah. But comic shops haven't quite had that happen, which is interesting because comic sales were never as big as standard bookstores or music stores in their prime. You know, in the 80s and 90s, music stores were like, you know, the biggest cash cows ever. Uh, obviously not at all anymore due to the, the econ- economics, but comic shops have always kind of been this kind of underground thing. And some of them make it work by doing, you know, a hybrid with a game store. Some of them make it work by just being incredibly uh intentional about their curation i'm thinking bridge city comics in portland as a great example yeah um and just and there's kind of everything in between so it, it'll be interesting to see I, I i'm never gonna be one of those people who thinks digital comics is killing the comic shop i think quite the opposite digital comics um in several examples i can think of not even personal not even anecdotal but just several examples like digital comics if used correctly can actually enhance sales at a comic shop, especially if those comic shops carry hardcovers and higher end books and, and interesting things. But it is, it does come down to shelf space and rent and rent costs yeah. and how you allocate those two things. And whew, I don't know, that's a, that is a whole episode for another day. Maybe we, it would be great to actually get some comic shop owners, um, on the podcast over the next couple episodes, just to talk to that, that point. Cause I'm curious what they think. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, I I'm my mind is going crazy because I'm thinking of all those like those different spaces, you know, and and I'll, you and I have talked about this before, but it's such a uh, I think it's such an interesting um, uh, what do I want to say, like a locus of some of that change was this place called the Great Escape in Nashville. And mm-hmm. so myself growing up in Nashville, uh, there was this one main location and the main room, which was pretty big was full of comics and there was a little tiny record store in the back. And by the time you moved to Nashville, it had reversed and the comics were in the back and the music store and especially used music. I mean, almost all used music, right. And maybe some local new stuff, but that was the front of the store. Mm -hmm. And you, I mean, it's like you physically saw that change in the economy. Like they went, yeah, the comic, you know, and that was the nineties. Uh, mm-hmm. of course, like you say, it was like they were making hand over fist with used music. It was insane. So yeah, we'll give you 50 cents for the CD that we're going to resell for 10 bucks. You know, I'd never, I never realized the greatest, the, we're talking about the Vanderbilt sort of location, yeah, yeah, yeah. Escape, which I, you know, I was down there every weekend. They used to have this thing called the dollar wall and, uh, which is, <laughs> you know, there's an entire wall of CDs and they're all dollar. And man, I would just grab 10 at a time. Cause some of it was, yeah, 
some of it was interesting to me, but I would I would grab a bunch, take them home, scan them, like rip them into iTunes, come back and resell them so that they went back <laughs> to the ecosystem again. And I would just do this constantly. Um, That's such a thumb in the eye of their model. That's amazing. Yeah, but like, I mean, if anything, it helped them because they made money off of me, like, and then they um, you know, got them back and they reset, you know, rewashed them again a second time. So it's, I don't know, it's just, but you're right, the comics part of that did get moved into a back room. Um, but I'm, at the same time, it almost became a more interesting experience once it moved into the back room because it had to become more curated. Mm. Like when it was that main room. That was unbelievable to me when I was a 12-year-old because I would just sit on that disgusting floor and go through their, like, quarter books. You know, they're, yeah. like, 25-cent books or less. And, you know, just pull out stacks of them. And so, you know, for, like, three bucks, I could go home with, uh, you know, 12 comic books and be like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Um, but once it moved into the back room, that's where I really became aware of things like Watchmen and Sandman and stuff because they were able to... Uh, call it out and call more attention to it, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it just became a more curated comic book experience, even while the m music room sort of took over that <laughs> free for all. Yeah. Yeah. And there's still a great escape on uh, it's I guess it's on Charlotte Pike. Um, Nolensville closed and uh, downtown closed. And so there's still like West Side um, Great Escape. And it. uh is an insanely huge to the point where you're like, how, how can you even make this happen? Mm. Like, it, it, yeah, it's all, it's like all music. There's a little bit of comics in the back with like some toys, but you Wait, definitely it's all feel. music. So much of it is. Yeah. Wow. How are they pulling that off? I wonder. Well, a ton of it is like just new vinyl now. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I mean, it's uh, sorry. There are also, yeah, I shouldn't say all. I mean, there's, there's also video games and DVDs and VHS, but it it just feels largely music when you walk in. Got it. I think that's that's got to be the great escape. Anyway, sorry, I I just it's uh, okay. We, we, well, we yeah, it's a it's emotional. Um, a moment of silence for uh for your comics unlimited. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. No, wait, real quick, real quick. Is that that's not where you would normally do book club, is it? It is. But <gasps> book club has been reinstated. It is just no longer attached to the comic book store. Okay. But yeah, Laney is still running that. In fact, that is our, uh, we are the first, uh, regrouping of this happens today, the day after comics unlimited closed. So, Oh, um, well, yeah. Let the spirit live on with its, uh, its yeah, life. I'm, I'm glad, uh, that, uh, she's pulled it back together. So, um, I think we all are, I think we all need this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so with that uh, sad note, uh, I have really another, a fun book. We had a Good. fun book on the last episode. Um, I am going to be talking about uh, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale's Spider-Man Blue. Ooh. Um, so I have previously talked about Hulk Gray in way back in episode number 57, so 70 episodes ago. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, or something like that. It feels like it was just feels like it was like January 2018 when I talked about that. Um, anyway, uh, as you know, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale have collaborated on a ton of books. They are almost like I, I it's hard to say, like, I, you know, that saying all of them are excellent has got to be an exaggeration, but all of them are excellent. <laughs> mm. um, and 
they specifically did a uh, um, this great run in the Batman universe. Uh, they did a long Halloween. They did Dark Victory. They did some other thing that I can't remember. Uh, and then they did Catwoman when in Rome. And they're all just like amazing. And when I was getting back into comics as an adult, like the long Halloween is still the ultimate Batman book to me. Like that's just the, the you're you're just done. Like that was perfect, you know. Which by uh, the way, just just quick aside, they are heavily. There's a lot of rumor circulating that the Robert Pattinson Batman movie is going to basically be the long Halloween. Well, I that I that is a lovely preface to this because I so they did a run for Marvel, which were all color themed for su- certain superheroes. So they did Hulk Gray. Um, in which the Hulk was gray, um, which was his original like printed color before they could get the green right or something like that. So they were, you know, it was this like great play on that, but also the uh, duality of Banner and Hulk. Like it's kind of a gray area. Ooh, you know? Yeah, I love so that. So the whole thing happened at Banner was in like a psychologist's office talking to him about events. And then they did Daredevil Yellow. So back in, you know, when Daredevil was in the yellow costume uh, and played off that and then Spider-Man Blue um, and then I think Captain America Red. And so I think I, that's the only one I haven't read is the Captain America one. I kind of forgot about its existence until I read this and was looking up stuff. Um, and I read this many years ago. I have the hardcover, which I probably bought at Comics Unlimited. Um, and then last weekend it was available on um uh, there's so many stupid services. So Amazon prime reading is not Kindle unlimited, nor is it comiXology unlimited. But if you're a prime member, you can get certain books for free. And as you know, I was about to get on a train and I thought, oh yeah, I should pick like a, uh, you know, a book to read. And I have a ton on comiXology, but this one was recommended to me on Amazon. I was like, oh, it's free. And I've read that before. And that looks, you know, it'd be a fun thing to revisit. So it may still be available for free to prime members, um, to read, but I would highly recommend if you're at all interested in that and you want to collect it, like buy it, the hard, mm-hmm. you know, not, not necessarily a hardcover, but in print. Um, because a, as you mentioned on our last episode, um, there are just things that just don't translate to that guided view. And there are such huge, beautiful splash pages and these like, um, how do I want to say it? I mean, it is a splash. It's a uh, like a, a double page layout kind of thing where it's not just a splash page. You know, it tells part of the story in this like a, a very painterly way where Tim Sale just takes up the whole two page spread to do it. And you miss all of that in the guided view, uh, you know, on digital. Um, you can still tell the arts fantastic and the colors are really interesting, but, you know, you're not getting that layout of it um and especially in hardback because when i got back home and picked up the hardback and could crack it open it was like oh wow you know here's this huge spread that i had forgotten about when i was reading it digitally um but the uh so the the artwork um i i i love it and it is at once like it's a throwback to sort of i think they are paying homage to like 70s greats um and i don't know who would have been on spider-man at the time if that was like kirby or romita i don't know who did what um but it 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 has that sort of 70s throwback feel um but it i guess I, i guess one thing i'd like to point out is that in this 
in the 21st century, I don't know that that works for Spider-Man. Like mm. we've kind of had an update to Spider-Man's overall aesthetic. And I don't just mean like the costume, but I, that does not come across. So in a lot of ways, this feels like reading sort of an Archie comics where mm. it's intentionally uh, a throwback and you're not really sure of what era we're talking about. And to complicate that, like the blue story of this is Peter Parker telling the story of his relationship with Gwen Stacy. Um, and when he met Mary Jane, uh, he's telling this into a tape recorder as if he's narrating the story to Gwen, like Gwen, you never knew this because you died too soon. So, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but Spider-Man is blue, you know, mm. <laughs> he is sad. Um, so, Yes, it's supposed to be that sort of haze of nostalgia and feel very much like an Archie's throwback to the old Spider-Man. Um, I don't know. I just all I'm pointing out is that like reading it again in this year, you know, the year after Into the Spider-Verse is like, huh, does that still work? You know, it's mm. it's weird. Um, the colors on it are all 70s Marvel color palette, like the you know blondes are not blonde they are yellow you know <laughs> like like that's what it's you know when when uh uh what's his name flash is wearing like his letter jacket it is like royal blue <laughs> like in your face blue you know and his face is so pink um but it's not done with the bende dots like the um printing we specifically called out in Mr. Miracle where it's, you know, the, the little CMYK dots that make up the coloring. It is, they are solid colors. So it's very much like a modern digital kind of um, color technique, even if it's throwback colors. So it's, that just makes it really vivid. Like it, this is loud <laughs> color wise. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it is just, uh, um, Okay, so let me let me start with the year. This was printed in 2002. I think that's when it came out. Uh, I believe it was a six issue run, and then you know pretty much like all of their runs were like made to be, you know, uh, uh, collected. Um, so I would treat this more like a graphic novel than a trade paperback or a collected mm -hmm. edition. Um, it feels, in fact, I think they are labeled as chapters or parts or something like that. You know, it's not so much like issue three; it's chapter three. Mm. Um, it, uh, what is strange to me, which I had to look up rereading it. And I re remember thinking this at the time, cause I did not get it in 2002. I probably got it around 2008 or nine. Um, what was interesting to me was that so much of this feels like not necessarily the plot, but the elements and characters in Spider-Man three, the movie that mm. I had to look up when that came out, because in mm. my mind, it is so bad that it came out like 30 years ago, but mm. that only came out in 2007, the mm. year before Iron Man. <laughs> Wait, that was Spider-Man three was 2007. I, like, I still can't even believe it, but I am staring at it on Google right now. I guess that makes sense because the first one was Oh two may of Oh two. Yeah. Yeah. May of Oh two. Um, mm. the second one, the Alfred Molina one was, I think Oh four. So yeah, that would make sense. And that means that the what's his name reboot that happened too fast. Andrew Garfield. Actually, that wasn't until that was 2011. So that was four years later ish. 2011, I think maybe 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 it was 2010. 
man, that was a quick turnaround. So they just did not let that one settle at all. Everyone went, let's get that taste out of our mouth. <laughs> and then anyway. they did it again. <laughs> After Jamie Foxx ruined it for everybody, they're like, oh, nope, one more time, one more time. Tom Holland. <laughs> let's try this again. And then as soon as that one like really sticks with people, then Sony's like, ah, we got it. <laughs> we'll take it back from you. and We got it from it here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one, one of the most one of the most depressing things though about the latest Spider-Man movie is that at the you know how they do the the production company bumpers at the beginning or the end mm-hmm. of those movies. Every time I see a Pascal production, I'm like, oh god. And that would be of course for Amy Pascal, who was fired after the <laughs> Sony emails were hacked and leaked and everything like that. But yet she, because she had signed an ironclad agreement to be a, a listed as a producer on those Spider-Man movies, even if she's not at Sony, she's still getting that credit. And that money, which is like, ah, oh, mm. god damn it. Anyway, uh, do you random th- aside? Yeah, Ra- yeah. <laughs> um, I and as you're saying that, I'm like flipping through this, like, it, so absolutely. I, I mean, um, Sam Raimi must have been aware of this comic book for mm-hmm. sure. Like, and I, it's just hard to say, like, how much did it really? The story. Well, wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. Back. When did this? When did the comic come out? 2002. Oh, so okay. okay. He, yeah. So Raimi would have been in production on Spider-Man one. If not, maybe this came out after that or concurrent to it to sort of, you know, tie in or something. Um, but it, so I don't know if that's a credit to uh, Raimi just being like this, you know, incredible Spider-Man fan, which was definitely the story at the time of how, you know, he had Spider-Man posters in his room and like he, that was his, you know, he pitched so hard to be the Spider-Man director. And I think that first movie like really, you know, like that was a huge superhero movie at the time. Like that sort of yeah, opened our eyes to what could be done. Um, it was as big as Iron Man uh, when it came out. If and not I, you know, as bad as we like to remember three, number one, I don't think it's as bad as X-Men three. And number two, it's definitely not as bad as other shit we've seen. Like I think Justice League, Bat Soup and Suicide Squad are all worse mm-hmm. than Spider-Man three, or at least in the same genre of like, uh, confusing villains and like, you know, too much, but still not. When was not the last time you saw Spider-Man? Three? When was the last time? You oh, watched it? I watched it like a month ago. When oh, it was okay, on so Blue. it's still fresh. I was gonna say because it, it it feels like in 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 hindsight it almost gets worse. Right, over right. Time. I just totally I mean, agree all you that. remember is that freaking dance sequence with with yep. emo Peter Parker, and you're just like, oh Christ. And I. And I rewatched it because I had just re-listened to How Did This Get Made's episode on it, um, which was really funny because I think on that one it's like uh, Kulap Valaisek, uh is their guest and she and uh, June liked it and then the men didn't like it, you know? Mm. Um, anyway, I, anyway, so I had recently revisited. So that, that was kind of fresh in mind when I went to this. And I, so I, I say that all to say like, when we read this now, you're absolutely going to tie it into the Sam Raimi verse, because uh, what happens in this one is as he's retelling the story of Gwen Stacy and his like, you know, blossoming romance with her, uh, it, the whole Sinister Six is getting involved in this weird way. Like there's somebody behind the uh, scenes is pulling the strings. Um, Norman Osborn has been uh, put into a coma from a fight with Spider-Man. And when he comes out of that, he does not remember mm. uh, <laughs> all the fight or the being the Green Goblin or all the above everything. Um, so Harry does not yet know, you know, what hurt, like what hurt his father and what like uh, I think they all 
I, I think they all buy the excuse that like Norman was just in the wrong place, you know, when this accident happens during this fight. Uh, but of course he was the green goblin. Spider-Man just took him out of the suit and, you know, got him help. Um, but while that's happening, like uh, uh, Vulture is attacked in prison and he's about to die. And as he's dying, the, the criminal that's a, uh, like uh, he doesn't know this criminal has poisoned him. He thinks this criminal is trying to save him. And that criminal's like, you're about to die. You know, tell me where your last suit is. And so that guy gets out of prison and he gets the Vulture suit. And then the old Vulture ends up coming back. And then the rhino's involved. And uh, Dr. Connors turns into the lizard. And then eventually we find out that like Craven the Hunter is the one that's been uh, following Spider-Man this whole time. And uh, I, I uh, now I've already forgotten the, the hook, so I don't even have to worry about spoiling it to you. Does but, that, does that but, become too much in terms of the, all the rogues bet gallery, like in the but, same story? Yes. And, uh, <laughs> such a throwback to Spider-Man three. We are like another villain. <laughs> what? They're all here. Um, here they all are. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Spider-Man does other than Batman. Spider-Man probably has the best rogues gallery. I think in all of comics, it's very colorful. And, uh, uh, it, and they're all animals. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> or true. Insects or whatever. Um, and uh, so, yes, there's a lot going on. There is like a deeper mystery of like, why are all these people coming after him with such a uh, vengeance? Um, and adding to that is the pressure of Peter Parker, like falling for Gwen Stacy and basically being seduced by Mary Jane, um, which uh, I, in, you know, the most delicate terms I can... <laughs> put together th this is the horniest representation of these characters i have ever read wow like they are so thirsty for peter parker it is unbelievable i mean there's a scene where he's hurt and in bed because he has uh, uh lost this fight i think with the vulture and so he's gotten sick he's fallen in the snow and so he's got a little cold and and both girls show up with like different ways to take care of him, you know, while he's in bed and they're both wearing like, uh, the kind of dress that you would go to a club in. Actually, I guess that's just Mary Jane. Mary Jane always dresses like she's about to go to studio 54. <laughs> uh, and Gwen Stacy is always like the, you know, is it Veronica or Betty, which is the blonde one? Like that's, Betty, that's, her role, you know, so she's, bookish but like really sharp and like you know really well dressed um yeah so they both show up like one has soup and one has a book to read him and then of course so it really Parker, is like Arch it, does that get, does that get distracting at any point in time um what was uh, again distracting to me reading it now in this year so far removed from like when i was um you know when, when i kind of like picked up comic books again and had found Jeff Loeb and Tim sales collaborations. I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is, you know, this is what I have wanted from comics as an adult and haven't been able to find. So I think when I read it, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, it was still a part of that. Like, well, this, you know, this, I'm not really connecting the story, but I can't put my finger on it, but it just looks so good. And it's, you know, the dialogue snappy and it goes through and whatever. But now reading it, having, being like a little bit more sophisticated and having read a whole lot more of image and other indie titles and stuff like that. I feel, um, that it is a little bit distracting. Like it is a little bit too, um, I, I like it, it, uh, I don't know. It feels to me like Jeff 
and Tim want this to be a comic from the 70s or 80s, not that they are writing a modern comic that is commenting about that kind of style. I see. You know okay. what I mean? Like, yeah. it doesn't feel updated to look back on that with like a nostalgia. It feels like, no, they're just printing the nostalgia. Like even the new runs of Betty and Veronica, and I haven't read Archie, but you know, like the, um, uh, oh my God, his name just escaped me. But uh, Adam, uh, uh, who just did Betty and Veronica that I talked about, um, uh, that, <laughs> you know, that was an updating of that story. Like you felt like this is contemporary and the nods to the 50s, 60s culture is kind of like, fun and ironic whereas this just feels like ah uh, they just wanted to make a book that feels like the 80s you know mm-hmm. spider-man that is mm-hmm. um oh my god how can i not remember the name of this creator that i love um <laughs> as per usual it'll, it'll hit you as we go i know sure. i know this is like classic podcast era air error where you know um the the people will angrily be commenting on <laughs> Also on Instagram, what an idiot. Uh, but anyway, I, um, yeah, it was very enjoyable. Um, I, and I also don't know if that take that I have is just because I've never really liked Spider-Man as a character. Um, and, uh, so, you know, maybe some of my criticism is, is just kind of based on this dismissal of the character, but for what it's, you know, what it is, I, I enjoyed it. I reread it. Um, I would say if you're interested in the story and art, you know, pick it up in print because even just flipping back through it while I'm talking to you, there are so many other, not even just the spreads, but there are so many times where Tim Sale uses the whole page as a panel. Like he will have a, a face off between Mary Jane on one side and like Flash Thompson on the other. Mm. And it, that it, that's huge. Like that's a thing that you might've just pulled off like, in a couple of panels on one page, but they've dedicated two whole pages to it. Um, uh, you know, or just, uh, like Harry laughing at Peter and it takes up half a page or something, you know, just, um, really cool stuff like that. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I don't know where to, <laughs> where to end it with that. It doesn't, I think, um, you know, like a lot of those books where they, they get a couple of huge creators to, uh, collaborate on a short run in some way it it's fun because it's like uh a what could have been story mm-hmm. but um in some ways i i guess what i'm saying and, that, and why i preface it with my general eh, about spider-man is this doesn't feel vital to me like this doesn't really tell something about that character that that i'm going to take with me you know um whereas you- the their batman books i think are the opposite like their batman mm-hmm. books so inhabit that character of batman that like that's how i think of batman you know mm. um but the marvel you, books just haven't felt that way to me sorry i've interrupted you twice. no 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 quite no, i was interrupting you you may have mentioned this before this is this is a else is this elseworlds is this out of main continuity at the time do we know no i think it's just written um where it it can happily exist in this sort of gray region and especially because it's told as peter recounting the story in a tape recorder like to Gwen after her death it's mm. it's like this is not a retelling of her death or anything else it's like they've just made a story that hadn't quite been told before mm. and sort of put it together um and uh so it's not necessarily elseworlds but it, 
yeah, it's just told in a way. And maybe that's why it feels a little inconsequential to me is because, yeah, it doesn't really impact the the t- the larger timeline in any way, negative or positive, which can be a good thing. You know, that's like what I often say I want in comics. Like just tell episodic adventures. You know, that's what I want. Um, and looking through the DVD extras uh, at the back and some of sales sketches and like their comments of it, um, I had I know I've seen this before and just hadn't thought of it until just now where Tim shows a lot of panels of Spider-Man like from the 70s and 80s and how he modeled his characters after them. So, yeah, that's the absolutely intentional way that this has been drawn and, <laughs> you know, written. That's cool. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know what else I could add to it. Um, there's there's probably no way to spoil it, but <laughs> so this is this, uh, just to recap, which. We heard Vulture. I heard Craven. I heard Lizard. What? Uh, what other? Um, villains? Uh, okay, so if, um, yeah, it's it starts with a fight with Green Goblin, um, and Rhino. I think is the only one you've left out. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the electric guy, whatever his name was, Electro or something, mm-hmm. is not in it. And I think the rest of that is the Sinister Six, right? Yeah, I believe like, so. Um, so. I, yeah, um, there's a reference to Dr. Octopus. I'll put it that way. Okay. I don't want to, <laughs> um, but it's yeah. interesting. Cause even like the, the beginning, when you said that this book is where the notion of Peter Parker taking Osborne out of the suit and, you know, getting him help, like that was at the end of the first Raimi movie. Yeah. So it's, it is interesting to look back and think about like which, how much of this was intentionally influenced by the movies or vice versa. Well, and also, I don't know if that was like a part of the Spider-Man canon already. And maybe what Loeb and Sale are doing is saying like, hey, here's another way that could have gone. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's like their inciting incident like that. It, that was already in canon. And they're just taking it like, here's the story you didn't hear of what no, was going on you know, in his personal life with Gwen and Mary Jane. Um, yeah. So uh, I don't know. I, if you like Spider-Man, I bet you like this because I bet it feels fun, like a, a you know flashback to the '70s or '80s and stuff. Yeah. Um, I see it most mostly as a, a you know a collector's item from the Loeb sale, uh, uh, you know, collected works. Yeah, there's that's interesting. I never thought about building a library around those two guys, but as as you've been talking, I've been going through their their uh, credits list, and there's quite a bit. Um, yeah, I left out Superman for all seasons, which is that they're one that they that sale illustrated very Norman Rockwelly, mm-hmm. um, which is a really interesting book, too. Um, yeah, they're a, I mean, they are such a great entrance point if you want, like if you're especially if you're an older reader that's like doesn't really know where to start getting back into comics. Um, and, and like you and I talk about a lot, like, where do you pick up when the new, you know, in a Batman series that's going on? Like, I think Loeb and Sale are that thing of like, here's the hero you knew. And they're either going to tell you like a, you know, new aspects of that hero or a new story that you didn't understand, but, or didn't know before, but it's going to be in a way you understand. And, um, you know, there's, uh, they're, you know they're not pushing the envelope in like trying to deconstruct the heroes themselves. So it's all mm. very like superhero-y, but maybe they're 
pushing the envelope in in the actual stories being a little bit deconstructed, like the flashbacks in in this or the uh, psychotherapy in Hulk Gray or the running calendar theme in Long Halloween, things like that. So got it, uh, got it. Yeah, I I you know I I I think they've done amazing work. So. <laughs> Fantastic. I'll keep reading them. And it's free on Prime Reading, so go get it. Where can people find that episode, uh, number 57 of Panelism, in which I talked about Hulk Gray and other Panelism goodies? Why, Todd, it's wherever you find podcasts. You just search for <laughs> Panelism uh, wherever you find podcasts. And if you want more, go to panelism.inc or on Instagram, it's panelism.inc as well. And that is .inc. So check it out. Tell your friends, subscribe, share, give us any feedback you got. We got a lot of cool stuff coming up. Um, so stay tuned. And I think, uh, yeah, until next time, sir. All right. Yes. Uh, yeah, we, we never have a clever ending, as you know. So that's, uh, the more awkward, the better. Tacos. Oh, I know what I was gonna say was I think it's so funny when we're like, you can find us on panelism.inc and also at panelism.inc. I mean, it would be great. Like, I know what we are saying is we're everywhere is panelism.inc, but the truth is like we're not really on other social networks. So true. There's no, we don't want to say we're everywhere, but. Yeah. Uh,